together isn't to like um, be super entertaining, right? Like I, I'm not, my goal is to entertain you um, or to give you um, my opinion as if I have some kind of access to secret knowledge or something weird like that. But my aim during this time is to simply teach um, what's written in the scriptures. Um, and people ask me all the time, like, what, what do I think about the Bible? Um, which makes sense, right? Because since I'm a pastor, lots of people say, hey, what do you, what do you think about the Bible? Um, and, and in fact, my, my oldest daughter just this week, she asked me, like, Dad, where did the Bible come from? How did we get the Bible? And I think she imagined it in her head, like, coming down from the clouds in perfect, like, genuine leather, you know, and in English and all that stuff. Like, Dad, when did, when did the first thing show up, you know? Um, and so we had, a, we had a pretty fun conversation about that. But the story of the Bible is an amazing one. Um, and there's plenty of misunderstanding or misinformation um, from both unbelievers and believers alike um, when it comes to the Scripture. But one thing that I know to be true is that it's reliable, um, meaning that we have what was originally communicated, what was originally intended, um, and, and also um, it has a funny way of speaking directly to me, like, like the deepest part of me, unlike anything I've ever seen or experienced. And so we're going to kick off a new series today, like I said, called Unchristian. Um, it's the title of the series, and we're going to walk through the book of Galatians in the New Testament. It's a letter, and we're going to try to discover what it truly means to be a Christ follower. What does it truly mean to be a Christ follower? The reason why I think it's so important for us as a family to have this conversation and to jump into it um, is because language is important, right? Language is important. It defines culture. Language has influence. Uh, and it's important that when we use a word together, we're all using the word with the same thing in mind, right? When we say Christian, when we say what does it mean to be a Christ follower? Because if you don't do that, if everyone doesn't have the same thing in mind, um, then all of a sudden words become words like soon, right? Um, how many of you guys use a word? I'm guilty of saying soon all the time. If anybody asks me like, hey, when are we going to do this? I'm like, soon, soon. Like, well, when? Just real soon. I don't know. It's like relative, right? If you, if you know me, um, if, uh, if I've ever, if you've ever asked me like, hey, um, where are you at? I'll probably say I'll be there in five minutes. Like, and I'm not trying to lie. I just don't. At this point, it's like, I don't even know where five minutes is. I just say, I'll be, I'll be there in five minutes. My goal is for being a Christ follower, it doesn't become a relative word like soon. But Christian is one of these words that's become fuzzy in its meaning to people in our culture, right? Like, what, what is that? What is a Christian? What does that mean? Its literal historical definition is little Christ, which actually, interesting fact, is used as more like a slur or an insult um, to people who were following Jesus. Originally, people who followed the teachings of Jesus were, were called followers of the way. Right, which is a mouthful, one, and two, like nowadays, like think you're culty to me, right? And so it's like, let's go, let's go by this, followers of the way. Uh, that, that's not what, that necessarily what I want to go by, um, but Christian is an interesting word now. Sometimes it's used um, for what someone doesn't do that makes them a Christian, right? Something they, someone's Christian because they don't do something. For instance, I've been asked about my tattoos. 
right? And let me just say, the only reason why I don't have more is because I ran out of money, right? So um, I've been asked about my tattoos. How can you be a Christian or much less a pastor with tattoos like that? Um, and to which I replied in that conversation, like, I don't, I don't even know what a Christian is, right? Um, but it's interesting, though. That line of thinking, um, if you think that way, then anyone without a tattoo, that means you're a Christian. If you don't have tattoos, that means you're Christian. But, but what happens a lot of times is people start to put more and more and more filters on what they think a Christian is based on what they don't do, right? Um, I grew up in Georgia, um, so I grew up hearing this phrase, Christians don't smoke or chew or run with folks who do, right? That's like a backwoods kind of thing. If you're a Christian, you don't smoke or chew or run with folks who do, right? So if you have tattoos or if you smoke or chew or run with folks who do, then you're un-Christian. I'm not, I'm not really buying it, right? I never really bought into that idea. Um, a, a Christian, a Christ follower, isn't defined by what you don't do, by what you abstain from. That, that doesn't make you a Christian. But at the same time, Christians, um, Christian isn't defined by what you do either. A Christian isn't defined by what they do the same way they're not, they're not defined by what they don't do. If you ask the average person, hey, describe a Christian to me, describe a Christian to me, they'll probably say things like, um, a Christian is someone who's kind, a Christian is someone who's nice and forgiving, um, a Christian is someone who goes to church. Um, but, but hear me really loud and clear on this. Being kind and being nice doesn't make you a Christ follower. Like, I know plenty of atheists. I know plenty of people who are non-believers, like they're not followers of Jesus, who are kind, who are nice, and who are forgiving. And that doesn't make them a Christ follower. And, and going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than if you stood in your garage this morning plunging into a car, right? Like, like, that's not how that works. Just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you go in a garage doesn't make you a car. So I really want to dive into, okay, so what is a Christ follower? But, there, but there's another word that I feel like I want to address um, with us, because I think it's a popular word in culture. You might hear it around. Um, the word is evangelical, right? A lot of times it's used, um, and it used to have a different meaning, uh, meaning, but now it's essentially evangelical and Christian are synonymous. They're the same word. Um, but, but if you see how it's used a lot of times, especially in media, uh, evangelical is basically a political party at this point, right? Um, if you're evangelical, that means that it's a very political term suddenly. So because evangelical and Christian are so tied together, Christian can be a label for a bunch of different political opinions or a bunch of different political figures. Uh, and if you don't have the same political opinion of that person, right, then, then all of a sudden you might be un-Christian. Or if you get too many political opinions that aren't evangelical, then you're completely off the team and you don't get to wear the school hats or anything like that, right? But that's not what a Christian is. And, and we haven't even started to talk about the 31 different flavors of churches that are out there, right, and the different faith traditions. Each one thinks that, like, they're a little bit more correct than the other guys, right? It's like, well, I'm this because um, we're not like that. Right, every single one of them goes that way. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to show you how muddy and convoluted things can become when we don't have clarity around a word like Christian. Right? Or when we allow someone else 
to define what being a Christ follower is. So what does it mean to be a Christ follower? If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, let's just jump into it. In Galatians chapter number one, um, we're going to have it on the screen behind us too. I want to give you some context for this letter, and I want to encourage you um, to go ahead, maybe on your own time, you can read the story uh, in the book of Acts, right? So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the Acts of the Apostles. Um, If you read Acts chapter number 13 and chapter number 14, it kind of gives you the background and the setup into this letter here in the book of Galatians. So I'll give you a little bit of it right now, just off the top of my head. Um, Paul and Barnabas, both of these guys, are sent um, to travel through the region of Galatia. That's basically Turkey. That's where they're traveling through. And they teach in synagogues. That's the first place they go and visit. They teach in these synagogues. And many Jews and Gentiles, those are people who aren't Jews, many Jews and Gentiles believe. They put their faith in Christ, but not all of them do. Um, The the stories actually that come out here are pretty wild. There's jealousy and controversy and drama. And if you read those chapters, what you see is that people get hurt. Like people get seriously hurt. I'm talking about people get stoned and not in the fun way, right? Um, And you you can read it in Acts chapter number 13. I really just want to pause for a second before before I go further. When you're thinking about the context there in that story, on a different level, um, I see that same thing happening all the time. Disagreement, it breeds and turns into polarization or drama. And what happens is that people get wounded, even over really petty things, much less about the truth about who Jesus is. Is. And so I want to encourage you, just even as you're living your life, to pay attention to what is brewing inside of your heart. But Paul and Barnabas, they go from city to city in this region in Galatia, and the stories, like I said, are pretty wild. In one story, God heals someone as they're coming into the gate, and, and everyone comes out of the city, and they go to meet um, Paul and Barnabas, and they think Barnabas is Zeus, right? Because these are, these, are these are Greeks, and so they worship the Greek gods. And so they think Barnabas is Zeus, and they think Paul is Hermes since he's, like, doing all the talking. Um, And so they come out, and they burn offerings to them, and they put wreaths at their feet. And Paul and Barnabas start ripping their clothes, trying to get them to see we are just humans. We're people like you, but we have a message that we want you to listen to, listen to the gospel. Uh, And later in that same town, uh, a lot of very religious Jews from another town, which the guys were stoned, or, or who were wanting to stone Paul. They come and they turn the crowd against Paul and Barnabas, and they end up dragging Paul outside the city, and they stone him. They think to death. They pick up big giant rocks, and they throw them at him, and they think they killed him. Uh, but the brother is tough, right? You read in uh, Acts chapter number 14, he gets up, and he just walks right back into the city. What a boss move. I would probably not do that. Just to let, just to let you know, like if there's a crowd out there and they beat me, like I'm probably moving. Just a, just a heads up. But Paul gets up and he walks right back into the city. And the reason why I want to give you that context in Acts is so that you can see the very real and I think really relevant divide that exists between very religious people, right, and very non-religious people that are both making their way towards this letter in Galatians, you have those two crowds of people that are both making their way to Jesus, both worship in the same churches, and now both of them have baggage that wants to pull them away from the true message of Jesus. 
like this weird type of law that wants to pull them away from the true message of Jesus. And a lot of these Gentiles, what, what's trying to pull them away from the true message of Jesus is just their desire for pleasure, right? Hedonism was huge. Hedonism is basically you're living for your own pleasure. And so you have these two very, I think, real and relevant examples of what goes on when um, Jesus starts to move in the region, when people start to move towards Jesus. So let's go ahead and read it in chapter, uh, chapter number one, verse one. It says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from man, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with him, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, now there's three things really quickly, just in this part of the scriptures that I want to show you um, in the opening of this letter that I think is foundational for us um, to unpack what a Christ follower actually is, right? And so there's three things I want you to see. Number, number one, the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus works for you. If you're a Christ follower, Jesus works for you. He says grace and peace. Now, those are two really big words that I think just get thrown around a lot, um, especially in Scripture, but even in culture. Those are two really big words that get thrown a lot, but aren't experienced nearly as much as they're used. Grace is unmerited or unearned approval. Unearned approval and kindness. Think about that. Unearned kindness. I think the world could use some more of that, right? Some unearned kindness shared with people. But I also think um, your family and your friends and your neighbors could probably use some unearned kindness as well. What about peace? Grace and peace, you say. Peace gets talked about often, right? But not really experienced as often. Lots of people are looking for it. They're looking for peace somewhere. But I, I had a conversation with my daughter just this week that peace doesn't come from the outside. Peace comes from the inside. Listen, you could be in the most serene setting you could possibly imagine. Like whether that's a waterfall in the mountains for you or on the beach, whatever like a peaceful, serene, if you have kids, it's just like they're gone and you have a cup of coffee. So whatever it is, you could be in the most peaceful, serene setting, but you could be experiencing hell on the inside. Because peace doesn't come from the outside. It comes, it flows from the inside. But this just isn't any grace or peace that Paul is talking about here. It's the grace and peace from God and Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, it says, Jesus who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. That is grace. That Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us that I needed rescue, that I was buried under my sin. And the unearned approval, the unearned kindness of God was crucified in my place so I could have life. That's what grace from God is. So, so as a Christ follower, the first thing I understand, what, is it, what does it mean to be a Christ follower? It means that Jesus works for me. The second thing, oh, well, first, grace. When we talk about grace, grace is kind of hard to understand, right? I don't know about you, but 
Can you totally get your mind wrapped around grace a lot of times? I have a hard time understanding it, and it's because I think we earn everything that we have, right? I, I even try to teach my children I have to earn dessert, right? You have, to, you have to at least eat some vegetables so you can earn dessert. We try to earn everything, earn uh, dessert, grades, points, money. We are addicted to doing something to earn our rescue. People are addicted to doing something to earn their salvation. But being a Christ follower is built on the foundation of Jesus' work for you. That on the cross, he said, it is finished, the war is over, and that meant for you. That you cannot work your way to rescue. That's Jesus' work for you. The next thing that we see in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus works in you. Paul says, um, that all this is according to the will of God our Father, the will of God. I've talked about this before. Sometimes that's a really mysterious thing, the will of God our Father. Now, if you're unaware of who Paul is, if you're not really familiar with this, uh, this apostle Paul, you might have missed it. Paul was originally um, not born by the name Paul. He was born by the name Saul, uh, and he was essentially a religious terrorist. Like that's, When you read the book of Acts, that's what he was. He was motivated by religion to kill Christians. Like, that was his thing. He was a religious terrorist. Um, pretty wild story, especially toward the first followers of Jesus. And, and this is something that he reminds people of again and again and again throughout the New Testament. Paul ends up writing half of the New Testament that we have in our hands, and he doesn't keep it a secret. I would imagine that I would want to keep that on the down low. I wouldn't want to tell everyone everywhere, hey, by the way, I used to kill Christians. That was like my job. Like, I enjoyed it, right? But he reminds people again and again and again, this is who I was. Um, and I think while Jesus is the ultimate example, when you look at the New Testament, Jesus is the ultimate example of love and grace and life and truth. I think Paul is the ultimate example of the change that can happen on the inside when Jesus works in you, right? Jesus works for you. Jesus works in you. And last thing that we see in these first couple verses is that Jesus works through you. Paul says, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? And listen, that is the ultimate aim and goal of mankind is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And, and that's why Paul is ending this prayer, ending this first part, saying, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And you say, well, how do I do that? If that's my ultimate aim, how am I supposed to glorify God? Right? That's church speak that happens a lot of times. Like, well, you know, you just got to give God glory with your life. And I'm like, cool, man. How do I do that? How am I supposed to do that? How do you give God glory? How does Jesus work through me? Listen, it's not complicated. It happens when you relate to people in real life the same way that Jesus would relate to people. That's how you give God glory. That happens when you relate to people in real life the same way that Jesus would. Because what happens when you do that is that people aren't seeing you. They're seeing Christ in you. When you relate to people the same way that Jesus did, people aren't seeing you. They're seeing Christ in you, and that glorifies God. When people look at you and they see Jesus, God gets glory from that. So Jesus, God works for you. Jesus works for you. Jesus works in you, and Jesus works through you, right? And that's the foundation to understanding what a Christ follower is. 
And then Paul goes on to say something that's real spicy, too. Like, that's one of the things that I like about Galatians um, is that I think it's an interesting book. Like, some of what Paul says, I picture him either saying it, like, with his hand on his hip, depending on who you are, um, or, like, maybe pointing a finger a little bit. But I like that kind of thing. If you don't like that, that's, that's cool. Imagine him just hanging on the hip. But he says, verse number six, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, let them be under God's curse. Right? Paul comes out swinging. Hey, in case you didn't hear me the first time, he says, right? Like he's ready for it. He's saying, keep your hands off the message. He says they're, de- they're deserting and turning to a different gospel, a different good news that is no, not really the gospel at all. It's not really good news. But remember, you have to commit. You have to, you need to mix to very religious and very pagan people in the same churches. And what happens a lot of times is religion tries to fix you. That's what religion does. But religion just tries to fix you, maybe make the outside look just right. Religion tries to fix you. And how the religious people were trying to fix those who were unchristian or not Christian enough in these churches um, was through circumcision, right? Yes. It's a big deal in the Old Testament. Um, uh, a big deal for Jews. It's not really an issue I've heard discussed in church any time recently. Um, Welshley doesn't have a policy on circumcision or anything like that. Um, but they took what they did in Galatia. They took this one issue and said, uh, if you don't do this, you're unchristian. Now, that happens all the time. Now, now I'm really familiar with that idea. Unless you speak in tongues or unless you're baptized, unless you tithe, unless you fast, unless you go on mission trips, unless you use the correct Bible translation, uh, unless you're in the right type of church, um, then if you get all those right, then you're finally a Christian. But if you mess up any of that, you're just unchristian. Look, if you think that way, get your hands off the message, man. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, stop messing with the message. And listen, some of those things that I just listed might be really good things, but it's not good news. It's not good news that you have to do all of these things to be a good Christian. That's not the good news. They might be good things, but it's not good news. The good news isn't you have to be perfect to be a Christian. Jesus was perfect for you. Jesus was for you. Jesus was perfect for you so you don't have to be. But if he can be perfect for you, he can be perfect in you, and he can be perfect through you without you trying to be perfect or proving that your faith is real. But you have to allow Jesus to work. That's, that's foundational to being a Christ follower. Paul says in verse number 10, the last one that we're going to read today. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? 
to please approval am I trying to win? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be the servant of Christ. Now, I want to give you a spoiler alert here. Um, you can do neither. Um, you can't please people. Um, I, I don't know uh, if you have ever tried to consistently make someone else happy, um, but it is exhausting. If you consistently, I, I have to do this to make this person happy, and if I don't do these things, then they're not going to be happy with me. If you've ever done that, um, it is exhausting. Um, and, and if that is so exhausting, if that's so tiring just to try to make another person happy, then what chance do I have to try to make God happy with me by my uh, performance or by all the things that I try to do? I, I have no chance to try to make God happy. There seems to be, if you're a Christ follower, there seems to be a sense that kind of seeps in maybe after you first become a Christ follower. There's this feeling, a sense that seeps in of, well, I, I have to pay him back somehow. I, I have to pay Jesus back for what he did for me. Um, if that's the motive of your heart, and before you say, well, like, that's not going to work. That's not what I want to do for integrity. Like, I want to encourage you, like, maybe double check that. Because if that's the motive of your heart, to try to pay him back, then you're not believing the gospel. If you're not believing the message of Jesus, you're believing another gospel that is not good news. It's not good news to say, like, hey, God loves you if you do all these things. Hey, God, God loves you, but he's not happy with you unless you do all these things. That's not good news. That's not the gospel what we believe. The good news is my debt has been paid and paid in full through Christ. That is the good news. The good news is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It's just Jesus. If, if, man, if you haven't picked up on that at Wilson hanging out with us, like we are a Jesus church. <laughs> Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It's Jesus that works for you. Jesus that works in you. It's Jesus that works through you. And so, Brandon, I want you to go ahead and come up and play behind me just for a second. We're going to sing in just a minute, and we're going to leave. Um, but I want to ask you something. And you may want to bow your head and close your eyes. Um, you don't have to do that, but you may want to do that because I, I really want you to focus. Because this is a question, this is a conversation between you and God. In which of these areas? God's working for you, Jesus working for you, Jesus working in you, Jesus working through you. In which of these areas are you working and not allowing Jesus to work? In which of these areas have you kind of pushed Jesus away from the table and said, I got it first. I got it first. Is Jesus working for you? Is he working in you? Is he working through you? Are you trying to gain God's approval instead of surrendering and allowing Jesus to work for you? Are you really busy trying to do things? Say, God, would you like me? I just want you to like me. Everybody says you love me, but I want you to like me. And so you're really busy trying to do a frantic work for the wrong work. Maybe you might be trying again and again to stop way of thinking. Maybe you're working really, really hard to stop something or to start something. Something in your life needs to change. You need to have peace. 
This isn't a place of the perfect. You have to allow Jesus to work in you. You say, well, I know what needs to change about me. I got this. And then we can go up front and we'll try really hard and then I'll ask help. That's not what being a Christ follower is. Being a Christ follower is allowing Jesus to work through you. Allowing Him to work in you. Maybe you're trying really hard to do good. And I want to tell you, I admire that. said something I think really powerful the first time he talked to us. He said, wherever you are, there you are. And so maybe for the first time you need to step away from the table and say, Jesus, will you work for me? I don't want to try to earn this. I have really good news. When Jesus works for you, this is what God says about you. You're my son, my daughter. someone that you're really trying to love to Jesus, or you're trying to do this good thing, man, let them see Jesus. Let Jesus work through you. If you need to make a decision, if you want to take a step, if you want to have a conversation, I would love to do that right after the service outside in the lobby there where they have some coffee. Man, I would love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. Let me grab coffee a couple times a week. Man, allow Jesus, if you're going to be a Christ follower, discover what a Christ follower really is.
continue to work in us as we walk through this scripture and as we encounter people in our lives, God, that you would work through us. We love you, we love you, we love you. In Jesus' name.